0: Welcome to Ghostwriters Anonymous, an inspirational and interactive podcast where we create worlds through words and writing. I'm Kelsey, and today I'd like to know if you were a talisman, what kind of talisman would you be? I would be a feather.
1: This is Chandra. I'm going to take it a step further, and I'm going to be a cursed talisman in the shape of a beautiful amethyst stone. I want it to be surrounded by other stones, a ruby, a sapphire, a diamond, a pearl, so it's extra enticing, but it's cursed. Your food would never be warm if it was meant to be warm, and if it was meant to be cold, it would always be too hot. Just
0: enough to not know that it's a curse, Yes, but enough to all add up. Satisfy (laughs) you. Yeah. (laughs) Your
1: shower goes cold far too quick. You're walking down the aisle and you trip fly in your soup or the zipper on your pants breaks (laughs) you know (laughs) the little things that could go wrong will go wrong
0: they add up throughout your day to make a good day bad because of it yes oh i like that a lot it's not evil it's mischievous yes like a loki talisman or something you kind of take notice but you can't necessarily put your finger on it where people offhandedly say i think i'm cursed but they don't necessarily mean it
1: oh i only have bad luck mine would definitely be a ward the feathers would be slightly glowy you don't necessarily see them but they have this protective aura around you
0: but i imagine every time the wind blows it's invigorating the spell or the Mm, enchantment i like that while we're recording this, it's still January, but February 2nd is Groundhog Day. Puxatani Phil, when he exits his burrow, if he sees his shadow, then we have more winter. Six weeks. And if he doesn't see his shadow, then we have an earlier spring. Which it seems my entire existence so far, he has almost always seen his shadow. But I do like the idea of superstitious and old wives tale-esque And I think this totally fits that umbrella. And it's also a holiday that sneaks up on you. Like, you're not checking off your calendar. No one I know is checking off their calendar. I don't stay up until midnight and ring it in. Noisemakers. (laughs) Maybe
1: maybe someone does.
0: I was trying to think groundhogs. I don't think I've ever read a book about groundhogs. So (laughs) I was like, oh, but shadows, that would be neat. And I found quite a few excerpts of shadows, but then I just decided I'd write one because there's this idea that shadows are this frightening thing and you're scared of them, danger lurking or on the peripheral vision, those shadow people. It's always this negative connotation, especially when it comes down to Puxatani Phil running back into his hovel because he's afraid. So when I wrote this story, I thought I would focus on the opposite side of that, where instead of your shadow being a fear factor, it's actually a welcoming, friendly thing. We'll start out in the light, and then we'll move to the dark with Ooh. our episode discussion about The sun shadows. is rising, and then we will see the shadow. Which is interesting because in this, the sun is setting. But it is very much a rough draft. I wrote this 24 hours ago and I titled it Shadow Dance. The music of the day was drawing to a close and evening sounds steadily marched in. The murmur of leaves was hushed chatter of an audience. Fresh honeysuckle honored the occasion like a neighbor's heady perfume. Crickets tuned their legs, frogs warmed up their vocals. My echoing footfalls resonated a steady beat. The sun yawned deeper into the horizon and my shadow stretched long before me. The lightness of the breeze itched movement into my feet. I slid to the left. My shadow mimicked. I double tapped to the right. My shadow raced me there. I swiveled into a grapevine. My shadow matched every pivot of my hips. It rippled and wiggled in time with my movements. I toppled my hand with a low curtsy. In grateful acceptance, my shadow placed its hand in mine. I peeled it from the path and led it into a wondrous waltz. Night drew open her curtains. The moon cast down her soft spotlight. Owls hooted to the coyotes' hollers. The stars twinkled their applause as my shadow dipped and twirled me to the rhythm of the night. We did the mashed potato, the twist, the shake. Then, as we picked up locomotion, we strolled right into the Holy Gully and Texas Tommy. We staggered and guffawed at the silliness, daring one to top the other until we were a hee-hawing heap rolling on the ground, stifling our side stitches to catch a full breath. The night moved in closer, hovering all around us with magic and ease dropping in anticipation. In an exhale of glee, my shadow grasped my hand and hoisted us to our feet. It slid to the right. I mirrored. It double tapped to the left. I chased it there. It swiveled into a grapevine. I duplicated every pivot of its hips. In consummated companionship, we linked arms and escorted one another home. I love that. It was really fun for me to write and then I went through this deep black hole while I was writing it. I looked up what the mashed potato was. It's basically a variant of the Charleston. I was actually showing Cooper earlier. I was like (laughs) check out my mashed potato. I had never heard of the Texas Tommy or the Holy Gully but what I was really pulling from the most was The Land of a Thousand Dances. We played it a lot in band for pep rallies and stuff and I was thinking of in The Great Outdoors at the very end when the credits start to roll. They play Land of a Thousand Dances and they're doing the alligator and the mashed potato and I'm going down this YouTube black hole of learning some of these dances. Oh yeah, I gotta get back to writing this. (laughs) Another thing was when the character does a low curtsy and topples her hand and then the shadow reaches up and grabs it. I envisioned in Phantom of the Opera where the phantom offers his black gloved hand to Christine. I don't think she's wearing in a white glove, but her hands are very pale, and so when she grasps it, it's like the white and the black, and I wanted to be very friendly, but not romantic. The ending almost reminded me of a scene in Sunshine. I had read Written in Bone, a collection of oddities by Asteria Graves, which is Chandra's friend, and one of my favorite stories in there is the one that Chandra's gonna read, King of Shadows, I reread it after I wrote my story because I had planned to record an episode with it somehow. There is a very weird overlay here of shadows grabbing your hand we'll talk about that maybe after you read it but i'm like wow did that influence
1: my writing i love that you took something like a shadow where a lot of people are afraid of it or it's like negative or evil sometimes that's your shadow that's part of you that is like a reflection of you and so seeing the character embrace it and have fun with it and accept it as part of themselves going home with your shadow means you're at peace you're moving on with it is what i saw
0: yeah and you know, that is the difference in this story versus what we'll be reading thereafter. Because this was indeed the character's shadow. Mm-hmm. So they were connected. And all these other ones that I had researched, it's not their shadow. It's someone or it's something. something. Yeah, yeah. So it's unknown. So I think maybe that's the fear factor. I wasn't thinking this when I was writing it. But you could interpret it as being comfortable with the dark aspects of yourself mm. or your shadow self. And almost like having a sit down dinner with the... Those terrible parts of yourself that you'd rather not look at but you're forced to look at them if you're having dinner across from one another right
1: but yeah so i am going to read an excerpt from written in bone a collection of oddities by asteria graves she has tiktok a instagram and a facebook so definitely check her out the book is published by blue coconut publication mercantile this book came with a bookmark tying into one of the stories you can hear the little bell Which is a story that we did share on this podcast. We're going to be reading King of Shadows. It's on page 67. I used to see him all the time when I was younger, mostly at night when I couldn't sleep or after waking up from a nightmare. He always appeared to me in the same way, a shadow man with a hat. He normally stood in the corner of my room or in my bedroom doorway. He did not speak to me. He didn't even have a face. He was tall, at least six foot tall, very stoic yet powerful. His stance was not a threatening one, but it exudes wisdom and power. Whoever he was, he had been around for a very long time. Despite the random times I would see him, no matter how the surprise of his presence made me jump, I did not completely fear him. I almost felt safe, like he was watching over me and keeping anything harmful away. As I grew older and graduated high school, he no longer lingered in my room. At first, I didn't believe that he was truly gone. I would wake up from a nightmare and expect to see his familiar silhouette, yet there wasn't a shadow to be found. I learned to live without him, and now, as I traverse through life as an adult, I can't help but wonder about him. I find myself in front of a computer, searching forums and articles of the paranormal." Many people have seen him as a child. They described him just as I saw him. A tall shadow man with a hat. Some people would say that he is a protector of abused children. Others wonder if he is the king of the shadow people. I didn't know where I stood, but I knew there was something more to him. Days of research turned into weeks. I filled my time outside of work with my face stuck to the computer screen. After the first three months of my obsession, I did not realize the shadows flickering just outside of my peripheral vision. Those shadows became braver in the fourth month. They started peeking around corners and doorways. That is when I noticed them. The first one had sent me running to my room, my heart racing. The shadow creature didn't follow me in, yet. Unbeknownst to me, it waited outside my door, clinging to the ceiling. I started to see them everywhere I went. At work, in the store, even in my car. By six months, I was dying to find a way from these people or creatures. They terrorized me during the day and night. I would wake to one peering just above the side of the bed, as if they were next to the bed on all fours. During the day, it would be nothing to open the shower curtain to one standing there, staring at me, faceless. The ones that followed me on the ceiling were the worst, out of sight and silent. I nearly dropped dead whenever I would turn to find myself face to face with one. By month seven, I had put in my two-week notice at work. I could no longer function as a regular employee with them suffocating me. It wasn't safe to drive either. I never knew when one would appear in the passenger seat or in my rearview mirror. I was being reduced to nothing but a quivering bundle of nerves by the time month eight came. I was hiding in my home, too scared to go out, and even more scared of my own home. It wasn't until one night when I had had enough. With shaky hands, I opened my computer and began my research again, looking through years of articles, personal encounters, and photos. I learned all that I could about these creatures. They sensed what I was doing, and more appeared. It was as if I was stuck in the middle of a huddle at a sports game. No way to escape, but I didn't let that stop me. I eventually came across an article about astral projection. Immediately I was enraptured, and I shifted my research to find out more. Day eventually turned into night, and my body, aching and tired, began to protest. Giving into the protest, I dragged myself to my room, keeping my eyes downcast to avoid the creatures that followed beside me. Crawling into bed, I lay back, eyes closed running through the steps in my head on how to project myself into the astral realm. As I drifted into darkness, I felt myself disengaging from my own body. Sitting up, I looked down at my hands. I could almost see through them. Coming to a stand, I turned to look at my physical body resting peacefully under the blankets. I reached out to run my fingers along my arm, but I felt nothing. The lack of feeling sent a shiver down my spine. If I didn't know any better, I would think that I was dead. I couldn't linger in my thoughts for long. The creak of my door opening brought me back to my reality. Turning to face the dark doorway, I saw nothing. At first. The hallway was dark even though I had left the light on before going to bed. I squinted my eyes, staring hard at the darkness. The longer I did, the more the shadows began to undulate and pulse. I took a hesitant step forward, pausing when a dark leg separated from the blackness. The leg was followed by another, then a torso with long arms attached. A head, and a hat appeared as well. He was back. He stood before me in a relaxed stance. I eyed him for a moment before finding the courage to speak. Who are you? I tightened my shaking hands into fists. The faceless man did not speak. His head tilted to the side as if he was considering my question, yet he remained silent. He slowly raised a hand as if he wanted me to take it. A moment of panic sent a burst through my chest as I eyed him. Something told me this could be a mistake, yet my curiosity was winning the battle. I took a slow step forward, reaching out with my right hand. His own arm stretched out to me, our hands meeting and grasping the other. Surprise flushed over me as I eyed our hands in shock. I could feel his hand, unlike when I tried to feel my physical body. How could this be? Before answers could run across my mind, I felt his grip tighten. My eyes widened as I felt myself being yanked into the inky darkness from which he came. I started to scream, but no sound could pass my lips. As the blackness began to swallow me whole, I looked back into my room. There lied my physical form, surrounded by shadow creatures of different shapes and sizes. They were fighting over my body. One of the larger creatures fought the others off long enough so it could slide into my body like a snake slithering through a hole. As I felt myself surrendering to the void... I saw my eyes open, revealing yellow eyes. My body was no longer my own. Spooky.
0: It reminded me, I don't know if you remember this story, but it was called The Visitor. And it was a story that I wrote based off of a dream that I had where I believe I really was visited by something demonic. And her story in this reminded me very much of that experience, except it wasn't with a shadow. But my favorite scene in this is when her childhood shadow person returns He reveals himself to her and separates himself from the darkness with first a leg and then a torso and then there's more of them. To me, that was the creepiest because it felt real. When she describes it at the very first as having a big head or wearing a big hat, that was very similar to how someone I know had described a shadow person, which is another story I'd share on the podcast. If you can find it awesome, I don't remember the episode.
1: I really liked the progression, the characters falling deeper and deeper into this madness. Once the ball gets rolling, it's building and building and building. It makes me wonder, too, because at the end, the character is like, I've had enough of this. I need to do more research. It notes that they somehow stumble upon astral projection. That doesn't seem coincidence to me. It seems planned.
0: Almost like the character was directed to find this tale about astral projecting. Now, I didn't think of that at all. To me, it seemed like a logical step if you're already researching. Have you ever seen the movie? insidious with the little boy in the tree
1: i don't think i did i remember seeing the trailers insidious is about a little boy who likes to astral project but he gets lost a demon wants his body so he tethers his soul to where he can't return to his body he has to wait for the tether to get weak between the soul and body enough for him to possess the boy a lot of weird things are happening because these spirits are attracted to the husk they want to be living again and this is their opportunity. What's so special about a human
0: body? And I think the earth has very real rules of existence and so I think something demonic wanting to take possession of an earthly form is a way for it to participate in this reality versus dreaming about it. She has experienced
1: shadow people. The creature that you can see its head pop up over the side of the bed like it's on all fours. I'm pretty sure she has experienced that. She has embraced the genre because She's like, yeah, this is kind of my real life. And she had shared some of her real
0: experiences in our second episode. It's mm-hmm. on the very tail end of that. She had recorded it and we just amended it to the episode. She's always had a draw
1: because of her sensitivity to that world.
0: And we had introduced her first as Shelby in our New Beginnings episode. She had emailed in a couple of her stories that she had inserted into this publication. Written and Bone is available online. They also have an Etsy store. I like going through their personal website cooper saw it sitting on my nightstand and he's like well it seems like you read pretty gnarly books right before you go to bed (laughs) because he saw the cover and the cover is like a skull with this leather hood or something on it and it's cast in shadow and her
1: story it was very hopeful with the guy in the hat the king of shadows because she felt somewhat safe I thought it was a false
0: sense of safety. I think he had built this relationship with her as a young child and made her feel that familiarity, even long for him, kind of miss him, Mm -hmm. wonder about him. And then later in life, when he visited her again, took advantage of her body being left as a
1: vulnerability. I think he was a false friend. It felt hopeful in the beginning, but it was all built on lies. He shows up as the hero would in this time of need. He is the person that she quote unquote trusts. Her intuition tells her, don't do this. But she does it anyways because of that false sense of trust. And that's how they win.
0: There was another phrase in there where it talks about the shadows huddling around her like before a sports game. Yeah. To me that was very similar to after my character and the shadow had finished dancing and exhaling the moment, night closes in on them. It wasn't threatening, it was more anticipating and I wanted it to be the night has drawn so close that it is time to move on and continue the task of walking home which was the plan all along.
1: And I think of them like the Vultures, sitting around and just waiting, fighting over the carcass. As a kid, the
0: scariest thing for me was darkness. I hated having to walk through a dark room. Never
1: like I think there's intruder in the home. It's always something otherworldly. The basement at my parents' home, my childhood home, was unfinished. So it was just concrete. Concrete steps into a concrete floor with concrete walls. The ceiling was the floorboard joists. So you can see wires and pipes. There are 10 steps down. We'd be carrying wood and you can't see where you're going you have to count the steps down. Nothing ever bad happened in the basement. Basements are just creepy, right? They are very creepy. And it smells musty. And the light switches at the bottom of the stairs. Literally, it's a light switch attached to like a two by four hanging from the ceiling. It is not even attached to the wall. My dad's ingenuity. Walking down there at nighttime always freaks me out. And then having to turn the light off and then walk all the way up the stairs. I always ran up the stairs. As I got older, I was like, there's nothing in the basement because nothing has happened yet. Why would it happen now? I feel my heart pounding and the anxiety and the fear. And I would force myself to walk up the stairs like a normal human being. (laughs) Why do I get so scared about ghosts and stuff and things happening to me in my childhood home where I have lived for 20 years and nothing weird except for the buffalo has happened to me? I guess the cross too. And we talk about those in other episodes. Yeah, why should I worry about what's in the dark in my own home? But you just never know.
0: And you know, that doesn't discount that darkness can be comfort or safety, especially when you're thinking of in the womb. But I feel very unnerved. The thing with a shadow is we rely on expressions to kind of get a full meaning of something and they are expressionless. What a question mark. You don't really know what a shadow's intentions are until they're moving. And if it's your shadow... You're animating it But then if you do something and it does the opposite Whoa, whose shadow Uh, are you? (laughs) It actually kind of reminds me of When Peter Pan was trying to find Wendy's sewing kit to sew his shadow back on Because his shadow ran off and went feral And well, he's a feral guy So why wouldn't his shadow be just as feral as he is? Exactly. But you know, he wasn't threatened by it He was perturbed by it Hopefully Phil does not see his shadow Because I don't want any more winter I think he will seems like he, always, he does. always does. At this point, I'm casting my vote. Puxatani Phil is gonna dart back in his hole. I will be optimistic that he doesn't. We'll see how fast I am wrong. <laughs> well, we'll see who's gonna win. I think yeah. it's good that you post opposition. Let me just sip my cowboy tea, mate, lapsang souchong, green tea, cinnamon, cardamom. Oh, I forgot that there was cinnamon there. It's not that noticeable. And Earl Grey. So Chandra did get her nails done for Valentine's Day, <laughs> which is a very uh, almost a nude color. I wouldn't even it call is. it pink uh, with black hearts
1: on it. And the middle finger, middle finger hearts, are <laughs> glitter. <laughs> I could not tell honestly. I know. I, but that's that's the point is like when I show you, it's, I'm flipping you off.